Welcome to the fourth edition of Priory's podcast, Sporting Highs and Lows. I'm Luke Sutton and we have a new lineup today. I'm joined by Simon Wilson. Simon is the Therapy Services Manager at the Priory Hospital in North London, who has a wealth of experience in providing mental health support to those in need. And our guest on today's podcast is very special. I'm a little bit biased in saying that, but it's Olympic gymnast uh, Niall Wilson, who uh, announced his retirement from the sport last month. Uh, Niall has had an incredible career in and out of the gym and made history by winning Great Britain's first ever medal on the high bar at the 2016 Rio Olympic Games. Niall uh, never fully recovered from a disc injury suffered in his neck. Uh, which forced him to have corrective surgery and led to a really tough period in his life during 2019 in which he battled with his mental health. Niall has first-hand experience of the highs and lows that sport can bring and we're delighted to have him join us today to hear more about his journey. So for full disclosure, we might as well get this out of the way, it's not the first time Niall and I have ever met each other. We, um, uh, I don't know what my official title would be, manager, agent, um, I sometimes think we're like that, brothers, though. but then I re- yeah, remember that, that my age, the age difference means I could be your father. So uh, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> big brother, big brother's better. Yeah, very older brother. Yeah, and Simon, great to have you with us for for uh, for this episode. Um, look, I want to just dive straight into kind of what I said in the the intro there, Niall. Um, just just talk us through. Um, you know, the, the, the neck injury, briefly the neck injury that I know you picked up in, I think it was Germany, and, and then what happened, you know, immediately afterwards, and then what happened over a period of time through 2019. Yeah, well, it was a tough time. I mean, at this point, it, it wasn't my first rodeo with an, with an injury. Um, and again, up to this point, I'd achieved so much in, in my sport of gymnastics, you know, ticked off all the medals at all the major games, including the Olympics, you know, comp, multiple Commonwealth champion and world medalist European champion. So I think this this injury, the the extent of it, the enormity of it was really tough to deal with. But then also, you know, it had come at a time where I'd experienced a lot in sport um, and I was kind of the, the golden boy in the run-up to Tokyo Olympics. So this one mentally I think just hit me the hardest and then everything going on, on outside the gym I wasn't just the athlete anymore I was the, the YouTuber the online celebrity the businessman um, but yeah I was was in a camp in Germany and you know I'd, I'd been having troubles with my neck for, for nearly 10 months prior to that and had a couple of epidural injections to try and manage the pain and, and keep me competing and keep me going and I just did something in training and I felt it completely what ha- what happened was I didn't know at the time, but I'd herniated my disc, so it had ripped out and fully pushed on the nerve. So I was in extreme amounts of pain. Like thinking back to that time, it was it was horrific, really. Um, and then in the, the straight away in the hours following it, I I decided to fly home because my pain was my pain levels were getting worse. It was pretty evident that I wasn't going to be able to continue the training camp. And there were a few things, you know, the beds were a bit rubbish there and. I just I just wanted to get home, so Luke actually I rang him straight away and he booked booked me and my coach a flight home the next morning, and it was just the pain seemed to get worse and worse, and that night was horrific to to stay in gym. I didn't really get much sleep. I flew home, had a scan, um, and it was clear that I'd done something serious to my neck, and I actually couldn't see the doctor for nearly over a week, and 
I didn't end up having the surgery till well this is really quick in sort of terms of having a problem and getting a serious surgery done but you know we fortunately get that support as an athlete but I had two weeks from when I got home to when I had the surgery where I think my behaviour in that those moments because of the amount of pain I was in just really deteriorated I was I was taking painkillers and code um, which was codeine to, all day every day to just manage that pain and then I was stuck in my flat um, and then I just ended up drinking a lot um, I just just kept drinking pretty much for two weeks straight until I had the surgery so that that kind of those following two weeks were really rough just because of the pain and my behavior and then that kind of it led into the surgery and you know as me and Luke will chat about more today but you know my mental health really started to plummet I think and then after you know after that the the surgery and that period where you you'd obviously you know as an athlete you were this was an injury which kind of stopped you in your tracks properly didn't it it's not you know you can pick up a you know a slight wrist injury and i i know how athletes can adapt and you know train in different ways but this was something that stopped you in your tracks and you you know you you, you talked about your behavior but then your your mental health really deteriorated over the, the next few weeks and months and 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 what did that feel like? You know, tell if someone if you had to describe that feeling to someone who's never ever heard of mental health or experienced it, what how would you put that, those few months into into words? Oh gosh, it, it's it's difficult. Injury is so hard as an athlete because you you're forced to stop without wanting to, you know, and sometimes injury come out of the blue and by accident and maybe sometimes you can look at it and try and understand why it happened but the reality is you're pulled away from what you love to do and what gives you purpose and passion and love in your life and you know what it's quite I think up until COVID-19 I, I actually would it's difficult to explain what that feels like but I would you can very much relate the an injury as an athlete to the pandemic everyone's has to stop what they do, what they're doing, whether they love it or they're not, whether they love it or they don't. You, you physically cannot do what you want to do because of this certain situation. Um, so I think it's very relatable to that in terms of the pandemic and what's been happening over these last you know ten months. But it's just a feeling of like losing that purpose and feeling a little bit lost and not really knowing what to do. And you you can't go to the gym and and fulfil that. And there's no real there's no short-term goal anymore like the goal is just to get better and that's kind of when it's spread across six to 12 months which I was told with my neck that's how long it's going to take it's difficult in those initial moments to stay disciplined and focus and really know how to go about your day because it's just completely flipped on its head um, so just I, I just remember feeling very lost and very lonely every time I, an injury came my way because you know, I guess essentially what I love to do was was taken away through no control of my own. Do you know what I mean? And then I'll, I'll bring Simon into this as well. The, the did you feel when you started to feel that sort of darkness and the loneliness and the the being lost and the lack of purpose and and everything, you know, sort of falling into that hole? Did you feel kind of an additional pressure of yeah, but you shouldn't feel like this. 
you know, you're Niall Wilson. You're the guy with, uh, you know, the inspiration on YouTube. You're the guy who wins Olympic medals under pressure. You're, you shouldn't be doing this. Did you feel that inwardly and outwardly? Massively. Massively. And that I think as it gets down the line and particularly as my behaviour started to, to change and get more extreme with, with alcohol, for example, I just felt shame and guilt because it's like everyone from the outside looking at my life, it's like, it's awesome, it's brilliant. You know, what have you got to be upset about? Yeah, you've got an injury, but still you've got, you've got money and you've got fame and you've got all these achievements, you've got Olympic medals. Like, why do you feel rubbish? And then you feel like yourself and you end up piling more pressure on yourself because it's like a question, it's like, well, yeah, what, what have I got to be, you know, down about or feeling, feeling rubbish about? And it's that in those moments and as they get worse, and I think as my behaviour started to get worse, that, that just amplified over a period of time and I just ended up hating myself. Um, I, I didn't know what to do with myself. And then also I was still creating content online to, you know, I looked to social media and that validation of all those views and all those likes, it kind of, that's not real. But I felt a fraud because I still started, you know, kept creating. I felt like I had to keep up with this machine that's inspiring my fans and making videos because it makes money. And I just, doing it I was faking it I was wearing this mask and I was like everything that you're saying and everything that you're doing and you're smiling and you're trying to be entertaining inside you're crippled and you feel you know utter hor- like horrible it just kept piling it on and piling it on and making me feel worse and then like, I hated myself even more and more and more and it's it was a tough few months definitely and Simon do you do you uh, you know in, in in the work you do with patients and dealing with because I want to talk with Niall about his what he thought of mental health prior to his own experiences but that feeling of shame and uh, you know I I have nothing to feel depressed about or rubbish about is that quite common? I think when someone's facing a a massive change and, and a potentially a bit of a crisis in their life it's very usual to get into black and white thinking quite quickly to feel like um, I can't do anything, things start to look bleak, the future starts to look bleak, and that can very quickly become a vicious cycle where um, I'm, I've got certain strategies to cope and then I'm feeling guilty about those strategies that I'm using. Um, they're perhaps making me feel worse and, and that can very quickly pile on into something that feels hard to get out of. Yeah, and, and so now just, um, I want to take you, I want you to take us to when it got to its worst. Um, but, but before we do that, t- tell us, what did you think about words like depression and anxiety um, before you had your own experiences? Well, I mean, I, I was naive. I couldn't connect with it because I'd had a, I'd had a freaking awesome journey up until these moments. So... I was one that, and I'd done a lot of personal development. I felt very powerful in in where I was at and what I'd achieved. So, my it wasn't necessarily didn't didn't think it was real, but I believed that people were choosing to feel like that before you know prior to anything happened to me because I'm a big believer in you know you choose your attitude. You're something that you're really in control of. Whether you know good and bad happens in your life, like I felt in control all the time. Um, and I could, with positive self-talk and my mindset and things that I, that I could, strategies that I could do, and I always had, I was training hard all the time and I always had good things happening. Um, maybe I, I was absolutely very naive to what mental health really was, and it wasn't until I, I started experiencing my own battles and my own journey that 
I was like, wow, this this is very real. Like this is very, very, very real. Um, and and a lot of it is very things like particularly when I I felt months and months of anxiety every single day, and I couldn't understand why. And that was the hardest bit for me. It's just it was like I had this certain feeling, and you know I put shame on myself because you go, oh, there's no reason to feel like this, but I did, and I, and I think for those periods and, and weeks and months, I, I learned a lot more about mental health and understood that, like, this is real, this is a real thing and I'm feeling it full force. Um, and it's horrific and, and I think coming out of it now, I know you want to talk about it. I really can connect with people and I, and I really like, one thing it's removed for me is judgment on anyone else, like literally for any, whether the way they feel or the way that they're behaving, I was once and still am that, sort of person try to navigate my way through it of just feeling amazing and try to be you know have purpose and be fulfilled so whatever anyone's story is I can listen and go I get it you know and I think that's it's just really sort of I'm grateful it all happens but to, to be that you know to feel that and is I mean my background um I've had my own mental health difficulties but it's an addiction background um I guess predominantly and Simon, is that, you know, I know with addiction, for instance, acceptance of where you're at is enormous and acceptance of where you're at and what needs to be done for your recovery is enormous. Is that the same with mental health, that you, you that somebody has to accept it's real and uh, to be able to move forward? Does that make sense? Yes. I think there still is a, a real stigma for mental health, although it's improving because it's an invisible illness. And so when someone starts to feel like they're, they're not the same as everybody else or something's going wrong, they're having to wear a mask, they're having to hide it, then being able to say, actually, this is what's going on for me, it feels quite difficult to do that, I think, because um, helping people understand you can x-ray a herniated neck, but you can't x-ray your brain and go, actually, there's something not quite right here. And yet there are big links between um, physical and, and mental health and um, pushing yourself incredibly hard, being determined, focused, is um, really important. And um, it can also go against you because it's about then what are my limits and when do I push myself too hard and what is okay, particularly when you're being celebrated for pushing yourself incredibly hard, being celebrated, being very determined. But those same things can also take you to a place of thing you can't be human, you can't have... Um, things like everybody else, frailties, concerns, worries. It can be very isolating. And um, the challenge is the more someone doesn't want to talk about it, the more isolated they can feel. And it's, it's reaching out across that. I think that's really important to get to that point of recovery, to be able to say, yes, I need to talk to someone about this. Yeah, it's the sort of self-perpetuation of it all. Mm. Um, yeah. And do, do you think, um, um, and I'm, I'm saying this from a basis of, um, not much knowledge, but do you think it's 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 hard for young men to to get there as much as a demographic as much as anything? You know, kind of that. I guess you 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 know we're talking about Nas still only twenty five, which I can't get my head around sometimes. But you know, you're kind of make trying to make your way as a man in the world, and suddenly you have to say, "I'm struggling with something that I don't understand." Is is that hard for for young men? Mm, yeah, I think for men in general, talking about feelings at a societal level is a real challenge. If you look at certain statistics, the leading cause of death for men under 49 in the UK for a period of time was suicide. 
and and that implies that there's a real issue around being able to talk about feelings talking about challenges what does it mean to be a man what does it mean to be an alpha type man that's successful in sports physically well and can you still like everybody else have the same challenges worries insecurities i think it's a big issue for men in general yes yeah, so now take take us i know it's painful to 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 go there a little bit but um take us to you know probably the the darkest moment moment or moments um and i know we had a couple of kind of couple of specific times but if i take you back to you know after you went to see your mum and dad at a particular time and and that then when you drove back to your apartment just just talk us through how that felt and and where you were at yeah i mean it is tough to talk about my my darkest moments and there were probably more than one of them but was when I just wanted to fully switch it off and I was having thoughts of suicide. And I had more, there was more times with this and I think a lot of them came from extreme um, ways of coping, particularly with like gambling and alcohol, where it'd be multiple days just not stopping because that's the only way I'd know how to deal with this pain that I'm in. And it'd get to three, day three, four or five where I'd not stopped drinking and it was like, I need to switch this off because I just can't, I can't live like this anymore. I don't want to. Um, and then I think a real one that stood out for me is it, it's it, what I realised as well. It's so difficult for the people around the person that's in these real destructive and struggling with mental health because as much as we don't get it, not everyone around quite gets it. And I was so fortunate to have someone like Luke in my life, but it was so tough on my family. And in it, I didn't really care or really understand that because I was just so bothered about my own pain. It's like, you don't, you know, you don't give shit what it's doing to everyone around you, particularly my parents, and, and they didn't really understand it as well. And I think for a period of time, they judged it on my behavior. So I was being, I was being a horrible person. I wasn't engaging with, with anyone like my, I was meant to be an athlete and I'd worked so hard and achieved so a lot. And that became, that required a certain lifestyle. But I was I was boozing every day. And it was, my mum and dad were kind of. There was an encounter where I just got told off for it, and I think that really hurt me to my core because it felt like you know you've like you explained there the isolation that you feel. I just felt like times by ten when my mum and dad just basically said you're an idiot, like stop doing this, when I couldn't connect because it was like well. I want to stop doing this, but I don't feel like I can because of the pain that I'm in and you can't see that pain and you know it did it wasn't a nice conversation at all and I kind of just left that really really lonely and isolated and crippled and in, in so much pain that again I wanted to just switch it off it's just like I can't I can't deal with this and you know for a period of months weeks and months it sort of went like that but there were there were definitely multiple sort of suicidal thoughts in there which was just horrendous it was just horrendous definitely and it's Simon. It is. It it is tough for the families, isn't it? And and for people around to understand, you know, what's going on with someone at that moment in time. Because, like you said, it's invisible. Mm. I think, as Niall said, for many people, they believe mental health or certain behaviours, coping strategies, are a choice. And it's not really a choice. It's this is the best I can do with the pain that I've got right now. 
And so I think for people saying, well, why are you choosing that? Why are you choosing to drink? Why are you choosing to gamble or whatever it might be? Actually seeing that behavior as an expression of the symptom, an expression of the pain and being able to say, okay, something's not right here. You're, you're, you're expressing yourself in a, difficult, in a different way and it looks really difficult. We need to understand what's going on rather than what can feel like I need to tell you off and shock you out of it and tell you it's bad and, and get into that judgmental place, which I think is, you know, most people would have that view of why are you doing this? This looks like you just can't be bothered to look after yourself or you, you don't care, but that it's not that at all. And I think, again, because of that fear of judgment and not being understood, it makes it that much harder to, uh, to speak up and not feel so isolated and alone. Yeah, and I, and I think also it's, I mean, we're talking about sort of relatively big things like drinking and gambling, but but actually I, I think also it's, it's, it's subtle, you know, that it can be just withdrawing from the family and, and Niall's family are incredibly close, you know, incredibly supportive of each other. And I know during that time you were withdrawing because you you were struggling just to engage with, with anybody in, in many ways. You were so in so much pain. And so I think sometimes for the people, for family, they think that you're rejecting them in a way. And then that's then they get angry and upset and hurt and they can't connect the behaviour with the pain. And it's it, it, I also am really conscious not to make this sound like, you know, family should do better. It's really, 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 really difficult. They just want to fix it as well. They don't want me to feel like it's always through love. And then sometimes in those conversations, you, you don't really connect with that. You just think, I mean, there, there was periods where I never genuinely never thought I'd speak to my dad ever again because I'd, you know, some of the stuff that was said, but then the stuff that I did and the way I behaved in those moments, you know, it, it was just, it was just a mess. But the, my mum and dad, they just didn't want me to, you know, they didn't get it. They wanted the Nile back because I'd just gone, I'd, I'd, you know, I was lost and I was changing and they didn't like the change. So there was kind of, doing everything that they could and trying everything that they could and maybe one of those things was to try and shock me out of it to say like you're an idiot stop it you know and that's fine now and but it, it's tough for families or people going through it because I was lucky to have support networks and be able to you know figure my way out of this and we're now we we're all so so much more knowledgeable on it and we can chat about it and they can connect a little bit more and they can understand and we've got great relationships and we kind of also understand that it's not a, it's not just an on and off switch. It's like, right, I get it now, so I've just turned the switch off and I'm going to be happy for the rest of my life. I have periods of, you know, a week or two where I'm depressed again and we sort of each time as a family we can navigate our way through that because we've experienced it. But some people might do that explosive, I'm going to shock you out of it and go, do you know what, forget it, I'm not speaking to you ever again. And it's, it's really, it's tough and it's sad, I think. That's why we're doing this sort of podcast, because it's important to, to, to talk. And now you've been incredibly open about it. And I think that's very powerful. Um, I, I want to move it a little bit to elite sport. And Niall and I have talked about this a lot because you know, mental health issues in elite sport are an, on an exponential rise. Um, and I have been screaming at, at uh, governing bodies around the country to take note. And some are and some aren't. But it is on a, it's not slowing down. Now, you know, now you, you've had the euphoria of sticking your landing in Olympic Games, knowing you've probably won an Olympic medal and changed your life, to being sat in your apartment with a 
ice pack on your neck thinking, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to do gymnastics again. What are the challenges for elite athletes with mental health? And, uh, you know, and, and you've been there. You t- t- tell us what, what you think are the possible challenges. Yeah, I think um, without knowing, you just, you're thrown into this environment, which we've talked about it before, Luke. It's just this like melting pot of, it's almost so difficult to not, you know, to get away from having these troubles. The Olympics is a massive one um, where I'd, I'd sort of argue that every single Olympian will feel depressed and have a come down after it because you can't, you can't ever match a euphoria or a feeling like being at that games, at that event. And I guess it's the same for like rock stars and pop stars and celebrities that do these incredible things and have these insane moments. You know, I was... I'd, I trained my whole life. I did the clean high bar routine in front of 20,000 people, 7 million people on the television. And I changed my life in that moment. It's like, I'm never, I didn't know it at the time at 20 years old, but I'm never going to be able to match that ever unless I kind of, in my sport and when I do it again. But I think, you know, those highs and lows our nature and personality I think you've got to be a little bit to get to that point a little bit narcissistic a little bit obsessive a little bit of you've got the we were talking about like the addictive gene I've got it and I was showing signs of it my whole life but like to achieve what I have in my sport I'm addictive and I'm self-indulgent and I'll do anything it's all or nothing it's black and white so then when I think you come home from the Olympics and then you think like what the hell now my whole life's been about that last week like that moment, that's what my whole life's been about. And now what? I just gotta do the next one. You know, it's such a a strange you just feel lost, I think, without without a doubt. And then you've had that experience as a way when it comes to like celebrating or having a drink of alcohol. I found at twenty years old not knowing that that existed, I just chased it. It's kind of like a buzz that never exists and it's a never ending thing. So I would never have like four pints and be satisfied, like because the level of um, dopamine that I've once had, I know what that feels like. So I felt like I was on this constant quest at 20 years old to try and recreate that with things like, you know, alcohol and gambling, I think. So when something comes along that's an injury or you start having these issues and life's not necessarily. Um, going the way it, way it planned my behaviour is already built in with drinking so it was I found it was easy just to be extreme with those behaviours and um, I think what, what the turn of events that happened in my life just led me to the you know the real tough points with depression and anxiety but like you speak about it so much better than me Luke like it's it's so tough for our our job to not not sort of experience this sort of thing yeah, I, I was the greatest Olympian, arguably, of all time, Michael Phelps. I think he's won 28 Olympic medals, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, in between Olympic Games, tried to commit suicide, and then post-retirement, tried to commit suicide. If anyone wants to you know, take a marker of the greatest Olympian of all time... He, he tried to win himself happiness with Olympic medals. He would do an Olympic cycle, four years, absolute dedication for this huge moment of huge euphoria and would win and was the greatest and then would come home and there was life as life. And, and so his answer to it was to do the cycle again and win again 
then he'd do it again. And eventually he had to retire and face the sort of gap in, in where he, he attached his mental health and, and everything around it. And, and ultimately, it's, I think it's an extreme version of, lack of, of a lost purpose and meaning in life and lost reality of it. Simon, is that I, I know we're talking about Olympians who are as elite as they come, but that kind of loss of purpose and meaning is that is that a, a common thing that's attached to mental health issues? Mm-hmm. So I work with lots of people who would be considered high achieving or high performing in their field, and they are driven and determined, and that's what they need to be high achieving and high performing. What's hard to understand as you're working towards your goals is that that comes at a price. And as Niall has said, I think anyone who who operates at a very high level knows that that isn't going to be sustainable, particularly when it's it's an athletic sport and you know that it has a a time span where it will end. And um, I often see that people are propelled, determined for a period of time in their life and then they almost hit a wall where they run out of steam their body starts to fail or they just can't work the 12 hour days anymore or it's, it's not quite getting the same impact and that's when they reach the point of, of things start to unravel a bit and symptoms will start to impact their routine will start to change whether it's sleeping eating patterns anxiety intrusive thoughts or just feeling i just haven't got the energy for this anymore and that's when someone starts to say what's happening where's my determination gone where's my energy gone and i think it's almost um we need to kind of say to people, yes, you can do this and you can have an amazing career for 10 years, but then what's your exit strategy? What's your plan? What will you do next? And um, I think, you know, I've heard other Olympians talk about you go from adulation one minute to kind of, well, I can't get a job. I what do I do? What am I qualified in? What am I trained in? Um, I've, I've given everything to this for so long. Now I have to almost start from scratch in something else. And that can be a real challenge, really, really difficult. Of course, it will help people make people feel empty or sad, lost, depressed, hopeless. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Niall, you've obviously just recently retired. We've, we've, um, you and I, um, for full disclosure to listeners, have done lots of work around these kind of areas together, haven't we? And, and, um, and maybe just talk people through that kind of, you know, I guess the question of, um, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but, um, you know where where you've got to with that question of who you are and 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 what that has meant for you in 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 improving your mental health and improving your your general well-being i think um like you explained well i think for so long i defined myself by the external like by being an olympic medalist that is what gave me what i thought gave me fulfillment and this was my my happiness ticket and it goes the same it was the same with my content and like I was defined by how many views a video would get and if it's got a lot then I feel great if it doesn't I feel shit I'd be defined how much money I earn and like it's just not a sustainable place to be in and led me to the the things that I've been through um but I think when the work me and Luke have done I think you know the, the work I'm sure you do as well Simon it's like challenging people to and I've been through this understand there's more to you and there's more to just an Olympic medal or there's more to a, a goal you want to achieve and, it, and it's actually about the person you're becoming for me the person that I'm growing into and that doesn't need to have Olympic medals at the at the forefront for, of it to, for me to feel fulfillment it just it just doesn't and there's this kind of like separate bubble that's like yeah I'm Niall the human being and the person and what do I want to give in this world and who 
you know, how, what type of friend do I want to be? What type of brother? What type of boyfriend? What type of what type of son? Um, and I think when I started to learn those things and and have those chats with Luke and really try and practice them and live them, um, it helped me get to a place of retirement. I honestly think if I had not have been through what I had with the neck and my body and had the support around me that I had, I, I don't think I'd have been able to retire. Like I just, I don't think I'd have coped with it. And probably the things that happened to me then in, in 2019, they'd have just happened in, in retirement whenever that, t- that time came because I, I was still in that place of like, I need this, this thing, these views, this money, this medal to be happy. And it's just not, it just doesn't work like that. And it, it's like a train crash waiting to happen, I think. And not many athletes really have these sorts of conversations or get this support uh, to understand. And to be honest as well, I believe you kind of got, got to go through your own journey as well. It's, I can sit with the younger lads that are going through the gymnastics ranks now and you know that they're going to be successful. I could probably have this conversation with them, but if they don't connect with it, they're like, yeah, that's cool now, thanks for telling me. They'll never really, they won't until they experience it. So I think the melting pot that elite sportsmen are in, I think there's certainly more support that we've given, but at the same time, everyone's got a, you know, I'm trying to think of a, a smart phrase. Everyone's got to get stung, you know what I mean? Everyone's everyone's going to get bitten for them to, to really come through it. And I'm just grateful that I did. And I think that's why I've re- retired because I'm I'm in a place of acceptance. Like my body can't do this anymore. I don't think this is the right path for me anymore. And before I was like, no, but I'm defined by Tokyo Olympics. Everyone says that I was going to win gold, so I've got to do it. And now I'm like, well, no, it's it's okay, it's okay. Unfortunately, I my exit strategy was kind of set up really well because I didn't I did certain things. So it's been a little bit of a smoother process of retiring for me. Um, but still, I miss it. I'm going to be gutted when Tokyo's there, but it's and now I'm in a place, it's, it's okay. You know, it's, it's all right. It's, um, I'm fulfilled with, with my life and what, what the future holds. I think that's an amazing, amazing way to, to, uh, to, to sort of sum up how, how you've, you've, you've overcome a lot of the issues or you've, you've found different ways of looking at your life. Um, I just want to kind of, as, we, as we're, we're coming to an end um, next next five, ten minutes. I just want to kind of talk about, um, again, Simon, just bring you into this sort of tips or not tips for people. I'm not sure I like that word, but some sort of let's discuss around um, what I think sometimes people find the most challenging when they're in a position that Niall was in, in which they're isolated, they're engulfed, they are confused, they feel shame, they might even hate themselves their behavior might be making other people dislike them and um, often it can feel like there's this giant monster or mountain in front of them that they feel they've got no hope of getting over or around and 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 do it and I I've always kind of been a being being a big believer it's just about trying to just take a step forward even if that's a tiny step forward it how would you see it, Simon? Sure, I think when someone is severely depressed and they're saying, you know, I want to get back to work, actually, my task might be to help them get out of bed. And OK, tomorrow, just try getting out of bed, potter around for an hour and see see how you do. So it's about bite-sized trunk, uh, chunks, what we might call behavioural activation. Start with very small things and build up. 
if someone is in a really dark place, then ultimately I would urge them to just reach out. It doesn't matter who it is, even if it's a stranger, you know, there are services that are available. Open up, reach out to someone, someone you trust and, and say as much as you can say, look, I'm just having a really tough time and just try and start that communication and keep in mind that whatever you feel, um, someone else will have felt it too. There is someone who will understand, even when you think this is odd or unusual or you're completely isolated with this thought and feeling, someone will understand. And if there is someone that you can reach out to, even if it is a stranger, because some people find it easier to speak to someone they don't know who's not involved, then that can be the way forward just to start to normalise the experience. And then rather than being in that vicious cycle that feels like you're going further down to start to lift yourself up a little bit, but also be realistic This, you know, recovery can take time. It can take a little while to, to restructure your life, restructure your thinking. If you think about the, the psychological coaching of someone who's going into athletics, they're constantly being shaped to be single-minded, be determined to focus on winning. And sometimes to get into a different mindset, it takes as much effort to change your life, find a different focus and to start to think differently. And that's what treatment can give you to overcome some of those thoughts and start to adjust them a bit and um, change the way that you're thinking and feeling and the things that you're doing. Amazing. Thank you, Simon. And Niall, we, we've, well, COVID um, reliant, but we, we might have the Tokyo Olympics this summer in which uh, there will be thousands of athletes going to the Olympics, try, you know, with this huge euphoric moment and then they will all be coming home with a medal or not a medal and and what would be your message to athletes you know if if you you notice guys that are struggling what would be your message to them in those periods of time it is really tough i think embrace it and feel it and it's um you know i found in the times that i've felt like that and, and simon said it so well um you want to feel some sort of self-esteem, like you want to feel good about yourself in, in any sort of way. I think no, no matter how dark or wherever you're at and you're feeling lost. Um, and that's why in, sort of engaging in exercise or engaging in, in better nutrition or just doing something, kind of making yourself do something you don't particularly want to do. And it might even just be getting out of bed. You actually weirdly feel good that you did that, that you made yourself do that. Or, you know, for me, it was just getting through a night sober. It was like, well, I can... I didn't have to drink last night and then I've kind of feel I feel better about myself for that but I think it's it's tough when you're going to come home from the Olympics and you're going to you're going to not know what to do and I think just trying just trying stuff and you'll learn a lot about yourself and understanding that it wasn't necessarily the moment you know winning gold or not it was about the journey to that point so just looking you know embrace it and feel it I think as an athlete you're always about what's next and always about what's next and I think it's not always healthy I think we, we should celebrate what we've just done and what we've achieved we've just been to one of the biggest events in, in the whole world ever the Olympic Games feel that and be proud and then just slowly just start to navigate your way through what would be the next what's the next journey is it, is it another cycle then great you know what can you change but I fell in love with the sport of gymnastics I didn't fall in love with winning a, an Olympic medal so eventually I just got my buzz back for gym and I wanted to go back to the gym again and I wanted to learn some more tricks and I wanted to win some more medals and but you know for me it was all it was all about the journey amazing um, Niall and Simon thank you um Niall it's uh it's 
always a pleasure talking to you, which we will do multiple times more today. Um, you too, but, uh, I think it's, um, you know, you know how passionately we both feel about this, but speaking out so openly about your experiences is really powerful because um, you're in a position where people will listen and they also may not have expected it. And sometimes to normalise it, as Simon said earlier, um, to, to allow allow permission for that conversation to happen for, for particularly, you know, young people that are watching you is, is a hugely powerful thing to do. And, and um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the way you speak up about it. I think, you know, more than ever, the, the current pandemic is... is um, placing challenges on people's mental health for sure um, and so I hope uh, it's, this, this podcast has been helpful for listeners um, please re- reach out if you think you need professional help the priory contact details can be found in the podcast overview uh, or visit their website priorygroup.com so until next time thank you for listening and goodbye <laughs>